starting again. Here we are. And uh, I, I've, I love this book. It's, it's one that is, um, has been just phenomenal. And over the years, I was thinking, as I was preparing for our studies, even this evening, I was thinking about how, uh, <clears throat> how passages within this particular epistle that, that I, I never ha- had understood as I do at this point in time and, um, and, and able to even articulate or work through them and, and draw together the truth of the Scriptures from this passage. Uh, with other passages of Scripture as well, other, other books of Scripture. And so um, we're going to begin this evening a study that hopefully we'll be able to make it through in a decent amount of time, um, the, the book of Hebrews. And so if you will turn to Hebrews, please, chapter 1, and we'll begin our reading in verse 1. And actually we're going to read through the first chapter. And then be, I'll get to be providing for you an overview as I always do. We're going to do the same again tonight. And look at some of the highlights and some of the content of the book and emphasis of the book, the theme of the book, if you will, and, and the purpose as to why it's been written. And not only the purpose as to why it's been written, but also as to why, as to its validity and as part of the canon of Scripture, um, which is something we'll look at in just a moment as well. So verse 1 of chapter 1 of Hebrews, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, which, he, which when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But unto the son he saith, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And thou, Lord, in the beginning, hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest, and they, shall, or they all shall wax old as doth a garment. And as a vesture shalt thou, I'm sorry, and as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed, but thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. But to which of the angels said he at any time, sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? So you have chapter one of the book of Hebrews, just the very first chapter, of course. And uh, the beginning of the book, of course, he begins by speaking of the preeminence of Christ, if you will. We've been studying that in Colossians, obviously, and that is definitely mentioned here in these first verses of how it's showing a distinction between uh, the Lord Jesus Christ and other uh, beings that were created, heavenly beings created by God, but yet Christ who has always been, who is the very Son of God. In the book of Hebrews, I want to begin just by uh, giving you some some information concerning the book itself, and we're going to look at several things concerning um, this book, beginning with the fact that it was written, of course, to the Jews. And it's believed to have been written sometime between 80, 65 to 67. In other words, 
it is believed that the book of Hebrews, and I believe that it's, it's quite obvious that it was written um, for many reasons. You can see where it would have been written, no doubt, nearing the, the end of the, what we would refer to as the time of the apostles or the apostolic time in which the apostles were alive. John, of course, being uh, the last of those, of the apostles, that is. But yet, this was written sometime in the latter part of the first century. And the book of Hebrews is known as one of the general epistles, and it is filled with a wealth of insight to the person and as well the work of our high priest, our Lord Jesus Christ. As well, the book of Hebrews teaches us that Christ is our mediator. One of the emphases of the book of Hebrews is this very truth. Not necessarily the theme, but yet one of the emphases is that Christ is our mediator. In Hebrews 8, 6, we read, But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant. Then in Hebrews 9, 15, And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament or of the New Covenant. Hebrews 12, 24, And to Jesus, the mediator of the New Covenant. And so there, there is an emphasis placed, no doubt, on the truth of Christ being our mediator, which as well has to do with Christ being our priest, or more importantly, our high priest, more specifically. And so this is an important truth that carries throughout the book. And Christ being our mediator, uh, that as well could have um, an important part in thinking of, of the message of Hebrews, not only the emphasis or the, or the theme but also even the warnings that are provided through Hebrews would have to do with one who is not living that mediated life, if you will. One who is not living in the truth of Christ as being the mediator. The writer, when we consider the writer of the years, many have speculated concerning who the writer of Hebrews is. And it is widely believed and accepted by many, not all, but by many, that the writer is the Apostle Paul. Um, that is something that has just kind of come to, to be. No one has any evidence or proof for that, of course. And obviously, even in reality, the book of Hebrews is written in a manner that is much different than most of Paul's epistles. And so, uh, you know, this is not something, again, it's speculation. It's not something that is known as far as the author or the writer of the epistle. And while the writer of the epistle in reality is not really what is important, the fact, however, that there is no self-identified writer within the book is one of several reasons as to why there are those who have questioned, or it's been questioned by some, as to the authenticity of Hebrews as inspired Scripture. And that is something that, that is questioned. I'm not saying you question that or I question that, but there are groups or sects of people who would then question this, the authenticity of the book, or should it have been included within the canon of Scripture? Um, so that brings us to this thought, then, the controversy surrounding Hebrews itself. Certain groups have attempted to argue against the validity of Hebrews as part of the canon of Scripture. Matthew Henry commented uh, concerning the dispute regarding the authenticity of Hebrews as inspired text by saying this, the divine authority of it, the book of Hebrews, has been questioned by some whose distempered eyes could not bear the light of it or whose errors have been confuted by it, such as the Arians who deny the Godhead and self-existence of Christ and the Socinians who deny his satisfaction. But all, after all, the attempts of such men to dis, disparage this epistle, the divine original of it shines forth with such strong and unclouded rays that he who runs 
may read it as an eminent part of the canon of Scripture. The divinity of the matter, the sublimity of the style, the excellency of the design, the harmony of this with other parts of Scripture, and its general reception in the church of God in all ages, these are the evidences of its divine authority. Now, I think that's well stated. The book of Hebrews, even as, Henry, as Matthew Henry comments, the book of Hebrews bears evidence of it being inspired text. Uh, one such evidence is its synthesis, he mentions its harmony or its continuity with the overall teaching of Scripture. Furthermore, Hebrews proves as a treasure trove, as I mentioned earlier, and specifically in its explanation of the shadows of the Old Testament. The book of Hebrews clearly details the fruition of the Old Covenant within the New Covenant through its mediator, Jesus Christ. And the Old Covenant, as you've heard me say before, is really the seedbed for all the truth within the New Covenant. And the book of Hebrews does a fantastic job of explaining to us how God has brought this to fulfillment in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. I've said to you before as well, if you look at the Old Testament and you read through the book of Leviticus, of course, with all of the shadows and and types that are provided within that book, you will not fully understand their purpose or meaning until you come to Hebrews, and then you read Hebrews, and it provides all of this clarity as to why God required all of these things And you see also that all of those things were shadows of the true, which is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, as the book of Hebrews so clearly, clearly, distinctly explains to us. So what is the purpose of the book then? As with every book of Scripture, the purpose of Hebrews is to reveal the person and truth of Jesus Christ. Christ is revealed throughout His Word. And in this book, the writer reveals the brightness of the glory the word of his power, the work of his redemption, and the rightful position of our Lord Jesus Christ. As we study God's word, the more we understand about each book within its context, the greater we understand the significance of how Christ is revealed through the book. And so the more we understand of the book itself, the greater we understand its importance in revealing Christ to us. In Hebrews, we find Christ is revealed in in many ways. First of all, we're going to work through some of these. First of all, we see that Christ is revealed as God's Son. Chapter uh, 1, verses 1 and 2, let's read that again. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manner spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Chapter 4, verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Now let me pause here for a moment before we move any further. Think of this with me for a moment. I mentioned a while ago that the Arians, of course, would be a group or a sect that would dispute the authenticity of the book of Hebrews. Well, of course they would. By the very beginning, you see that it is declared that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, whereas by the Arians are the ones who refuted that or or argued against that or rejected that truth of the deity of Jesus Christ. And so you find that there are those who obviously would then dispute the truth of Hebrews or its its validity because it's going against their their own theology or their own belief system while it declares with consistency what all the scriptures teach us though. This it's not as though Hebrews is one book in which you see Jesus declared to be the Son of God, or declared to be who He really is, and no other book does that. No, the Scriptures consistently teach us this truth of who Christ is. 
And so Hebrews defines that for us in the very first verses. Then you find that he also is revealed. Christ is revealed not only as God's son, but also the great high priest. Chapter 4, 14, and 15 says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He also is referred to as the great, or as revealed to be a great minister. Chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. We see he also is revealed to be the author and finisher of faith. Chapters um, 10 through 12. Chapter 12, 2 says, looking unto Jesus, you know this verse, the author, he is the progenitor, and finisher, he is the perfecter of faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So he is the author, he is the finisher, he is the one who began, and he is the one who completes and perfects the faith. The great example, Hebrews reveals him to be such as well. He, uh, chapter 12, verse 3, at the following verse. For consider him, Jesus, endured such contradiction against, of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied. And faint in your minds. Here you find the statement is being made consider him the author and finisher of faith, lest you be weird. He is the example of one who endured the contradiction of sinners against himself. And as we consider him, we see him to be that example. Now, Jesus is much more than an example alone. Obviously, we know that. Some, some would believe Jesus lived as an example of how we should live, and that's the extent of who he is. No, he's far more than simply an example. But thankfully, he is an example at the same time, and we are encouraged and exhorted to follow after him. He also is the great shepherd. Chapter 13, verse 20. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. So here you find that, that Hebrews reveals Christ clearly as God's son, the great high priest, the great minister, the author and finisher of faith, the great example, and the great shepherd. Now, that's not the only characterizations of Christ within the book or the revelation of who he is within the book, but yet we know that these things are clearly stated to declare who he is. This is revealing who Christ is. So then, what are key words in the book of Hebrews? Well, there's several things here, and then we'll get to the theme. I'm going to go ahead and mention the theme first, of course. I've said this to you many times. The theme of Hebrews is simply this truth. Overall, Christ is better. And that is mentioned multiple times in many different ways to prove or to point out this truth of who Christ is. But what are some of the key words, and that brings us to this, some of the key words in the book of Hebrews. Well, the word priest is used 26 times, and high priest is used 16 times. The priest was, of course, one, as you know, who represented man to God. Remember the prophets, I've told you this before, throughout the Old Testament you find the prophets. And the prophets were known by saying, thus saith the Lord. They are representing God to man. Priests, though, were the ones who went in. The high priest was the one who went in on the day of atonement, remember. Took the blood of the offering, the sacrifice of atonement. Took it into the most holy place. And then offered that before the Lord. And representing man before God or unto God. And he is our priest. He is. Jesus is our great high priest. 
And this, of course, is a wonderful reminder of the intercession that Christ makes on our behalf. In Hebrews 7.25, we're told, Wherefore, he is able to save them to the uttermost, uttermost meaning to the very end, that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Now remember, I've said to you before, let me pause here for just a moment. I'm sure we'll deal with this again when we reach this point in our study. But when it says he ever liveth to make intercession for them, that does not mean that Jesus is simply alive by the Father at the right hand of the Father. And every time that we sin, he has to stand up and open a new case and plead our case and say, oh, but, but Father, that's one that I died for. He's one of, no. His life is our intercession. As long as he lives, I am interceded for by, look, Jesus, here's the bottom line. You must remember this. Jesus does not have to speak one word on our behalf. His life is already been spoken on our behalf. And so he has been accepted and he pleased the Father. So he does not have to plead our case. His very presence with the Father, having been accepted by the Father, the sacrifice that is, it pleased the Father to bruise him. The Father now is satisfied, and his life is our intercession. And so there's never, and, and look, this is so much better, and I hope you understand this. This is so much better, not to play on the word, but this is so much better than the idea most of us have concerning this intercession as though Jesus is as some attorney pleading before the judge every time we mess up. Listen, you know how, you know, you know how much of my life needs to be interceded for every single moment? Not just if I sin. The fact of the matter is, Apart from Christ being there, I have no hope and no confidence whatsoever. But his presence and his life is the intercession on behalf of me. Do you understand the difference there? He doesn't stand up and say, oh, well, Truman messed up, but I've forgiven him. Lord, you, God, Father, you've forgiven him because I know his presence is that intercession. So there's not a moment of my life, whether I am committing a sin or whether I am not committing a sin, there's never a moment of my life in which I am not being interceded for because Christ is present with the Father. And that is a far greater truth than just someone there to plead my cause or my case. No, it's his life that is our intercession. The word better, and I told you a moment ago, this is really the theme of the book, and you'll see that to be very clear, I think. The word better is used 13 times, I believe within 12 verses. And throughout this letter, we see the significance of all that is because the work in the person of Christ is better. So let's look at how this is explained to us in this book. First, Christ is better than the angels, chapter 1, verse 4, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Two, Christ brings us a better hope. Chapter 7, verse 19, For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. Oh, what is that? How do we draw nigh to God? How do we draw nigh to God? Yes, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. He is the means by which we are born again and reconciled to God. He is the means by which we're restored to him. Christ brings us a better covenant, chapter 7, verse 22. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament or covenant. Christ brings us better promises, chapter 8. And verse 6, but now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better 
promises. Five, Christ also purifies with a better sacrifice. Chapter 9, 23. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Again, think of Leviticus for a moment. Think about the law. Think about the book of Leviticus. Think about the sacrifices, the offerings, and so on and so forth. All of those things, they were the pattern of things in the heavens that were purified through this means, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. What is the better sacrifice? Christ himself. He is the ultimate sacrifice. Six, Christ brings believers to a better possession. Chapter 10, verse 34. For ye had compassion of me and my bonds and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and enduring substance. Seven, Christ gives us a better dwelling place. Chapter eleven sixteen. But now they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. And then eight, Christ gives us a better resurrection. Chapter 11, verse 35. Women received their dead raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. So you find the word better used 13 times within the book of Hebrews. And there's a reason as to why it is mentioned so often. And high priest is mentioned, priest is mentioned, and other words as well that are key within the book. But the emphasis here is clearly shown to us is that Jesus Christ is better, and because he is better, he is the fulfillment of all that which the old covenant was a pattern or shadow of, as we will clearly see defined throughout this book, clearly. And he is better, therefore, all that he has accomplished and all that he provides is better than that which was a foreshadowing of him. So he is better than all of those things that were pointing us to him, and therefore what he brings is better than all of that which was foreshadowed prior to him being manifested in the flesh. Then there's another phrase that's mentioned, a phrase in this case, 13 times, and that is the phrase, let us. Christ, who is our mediator, he is the provision by which this phrase becomes not only a possibility, but a reality. Remember what I've shared with you before in even the book of Ephesians, Paul's epistle to the Ephesians, that is it, I think it's clearly pointed out and, and, and distinctly, distinctly explained, where you see that there's a positional truth of who we are in Christ, which then for, therefore produces a practicing or living out of the truth of the position that we've been given. As I said in chapters 1 through 3 of Ephesians, it is all about who we are in Christ, that position. In chapters 4 through 6 of Ephesians, it's all about who Christ is in us. As we are in Him, now He lives in us, and so that life of Him living in us is being demonstrated in a world in which we live. In other words, let me say it to you like this in one sense of the word. You being in Christ is absolutely personal, obviously. And, and that is a personal, and that is even, a, 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 that, is, that is not only personal, but in a sense, that is the private portion of your salvation. It is that you are in Christ in this position you hold. But Christ being in you, though that is personal as well, it is very public. And that is being lived out. And so you see that, that he, let us, this command or this exhortation that is given, let us, is based upon 
all the truth of who Christ is and that he is better. Therefore, because he is this and he has provided this, then we are to live accordingly, live in this fashion, as the scriptures clearly teach as well. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. So that's the, that's the exhortation. That is the command. It is because Christ is our mediator, because he intercedes, because he, we are in him, that the charge let us has meaning in our lives. The only way we can go on unto perfection, such as Hebrews says, completeness and maturity, that is, is by understanding and resting in Christ as our high priest. He is the perfect priest, high priest. He continues to perfect his salvation in our lives. As we read in Colossians 2.10 that you're very aware, as we've studied over the past um, weeks, of course, and months, and ye are complete in him. So let's look at, now consider the warnings of the book of Hebrews. And again, this is somewhat based in these truths of who Christ is, that he is better. Therefore, there are warnings that as well are given that relate to these truths of who Christ is and the fact that he is better. Because of that, that, is go- that should be resulting in this evidence of us being in Christ by the truth of understanding who he is, this truth of who he is, should therefore produce a results within our lives that we live out. So there are warnings concerning that very matter. Hebrews is filled with warnings. And these warnings are there for those who live or may be prone to live or have a tendency to live independent of the mediation of our high priest, as I mentioned earlier. He is our mediator, and a person who is not living in the truth of a mediated life by Christ then falls under great danger. In other words, if one is not dependent and resting in the truth that Jesus is their high priest, then they find themselves in great danger. So what are, what are the dangers that are given, given it within the text? Well, first of all, there's a warning against drifting from truth. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? So you'll find one of the warnings. Second, a warning against unbelief. Chapter 3, verse 8. Harden not your hearts as in the provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness. Chapter 3, verse 19 continues that. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. There's a warning of missing God's rest. Chapter 4, verse 1. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left of us entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. There's a warning against drawing back. Chapters, or chapter 10, verses 38 and 39. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. What, what a comforting passage that is. Do you see what he is saying here? And by the way, by, with, with, all of the, with all of the speculation concerning certain statements or verses within the book of Hebrews, this one here provides a great uh, some summary, if you will, of the truth that we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Then there's a warning against turning a deaf ear in disobedience, chapter 12, verse 29. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh, 
For if they escaped not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. Now remember what he said from the very beginning, if you recall. God has spoken in diverse manners. Remember what he says. But he, by the prophets, remember? But now in these last days has spoken unto us by his Son. So those who escape not, or for if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn our away from him that speaketh from heaven. God has spoken, he's spoken through his Son, and so there's warnings again that we are to hear, that we are to heed, and be attentive. The only victory, the only rest, the only joy, the only peace that we have is rooted in the finished work of our high priest, our Lord Jesus Christ. And he ever lives to make intercession. The book of Hebrews is full of the revealing truth of who Christ is. It explains to us in detail concerning his work and his finished work and how all of these types and all of these shadows from the Old Testament have been fulfilled in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, to summarize the book, which there's much to be dealt with within it, obviously, but to summarize this truth of the book itself, Christ is better. And because Christ is better, we can live according to all that he has provided for us through his better work as a better sacrifice in a better covenant and he being a better high priest who's made intercession on our behalf and continues to do so by his very presence, the very presence of his life. So we, let us, let us live accordingly, but we can because Christ is better. Remember to wrap up the overview tonight, let me say this. Remember throughout the Old Testament, who was the covenant, who was the covenant made between in the Old Covenant? God and man. And was God faithful in his covenant? Was man faithful in the covenant? No. Who is the covenant between in the new covenant? God and Christ. Is God faithful in the covenant? Is Christ faithful in the covenant? Yes. Let us then live accordingly. What the Old Testament believer really was not capable of doing, because they really couldn't. We as New Covenant believers are capable because of Christ who is better. And he, the one who, he is the one who dwells and lives in us. This is the fulfillment of all that of the old. We find it's fulfilled in Christ within the new. So let us. So we'll continue our journey. We'll begin next week, Lord willing, and looking at the introduction into the book, beginning in the first chapter, actually beginning to break it down. Uh, there, are, there are multiple things in Hebrews um, for us to delve into and in, in truths within the book. And there are many, and I didn't deal with this tonight, but there are also, I kind of referenced it, there are many misunderstandings in the book also concerning things that are stated or, or statements that are made that people view uh, to, 
to state certain things that they actually do not say at all. And, and we know that not only because you can break it down through the text itself, but also we know that by the consistency of the teaching of all Scripture, that obviously if these things as they were perceived to be by some meant what they think it to mean, then it would be contradicting a plethora of passages of Scripture that teach totally the opposite. And so it's not that this book is not correct. It's a, remember, let me, let me say this in light of that, and we'll get to that eventually, but let me just say this and I'm finished. The Scriptures are never wrong. But there are times that our understanding of the Scriptures is very wrong. So not, we shouldn't be questioning whether or not the Scripture is true. We should be questioning is our understanding true and correct. And we know that by comparing the Scriptures with the Scriptures and delving into the truth that is stated itself. So we will continue through this study, Lord willing. And I'm looking forward to it. I love the book of Hebrews. It's a phenomenal study um, to work through. And, and, and enlightening, and also uh, I believe that you will find it to bring great joy to you as a believer in Christ to see the truth of who Jesus is as he's clearly defined and proclaimed within the book of Hebrews. Let's pray together, and we'll be dismissed. Father, we thank you.